Hello everyone and welcome back to the fanfiction tapes. I'm your host today, Maya, pronouns she, her, and I'm joined by... Uh, Dylan. I think I'm he, him. I think. Yeah, that's probably right. I haven't checked in a while. And Cam. Hi, I'm back. Pronouns are she, they, whichever. And I'm our producer, Ian. Pronouns he, him. Today's episode is sci-fi and speculative fiction. What's the difference? That's a loaded question. Cam, you want to roll away? This is your area of expertise. Do you want to unleash me on people is the question. Yeah, um, I was actually just going on a impassioned rant about this in a hotel room in Los Angeles, which is where I'm currently recording. Don't ask me why. It's a long story. Um, but speculative fiction is technically, if you want to get technical, the overarching umbrella under which many subgenres rest. And when I say subgenres, I'm talking about genres of fiction that we typically conceive of as genres in and of themselves. Technically, horror is is speculative fiction, same as fantasy and same as science fiction. It just depends on how technical you want to get. Um, one of the things that I encountered that was frustrating as a querying writer, um, for those uninitiated, you are blessed. Um, and a, query, a querying process is the process that someone who's written a novel uh, undergoes when they're trying to find a literary agent to represent them or their work to get the book traditionally published. Something that was really hard for me and difficult for a lot of my fellow querying writers was finding agents who clearly underscored the difference to them between speculative fiction and science fiction, because both definitions of both genres are so subjective that it's really hard to find anyone or any scholarly body or any university or even any literary agency that's aligned on what those things actually mean. And the challenge for me, the literal anxiety-ridden overachiever that I am, was trying to figure out what each individual agent thought the difference was if they wanted speculative fiction and science fiction, understanding how then to pitch my work, which technically is either or, depending on who you ask and what your definition is, was challenging so that's my that's my rant about it um on its face i'm sure there's more that we're actually meant to be talking about <laughs> i'm not gonna lie the whole speculative fiction bit is way out of my depth uh regular listeners okay. will likely know that i am i am not a literature person i am actually in stem that's what i do for a living mm. and so when I first met you, Kevin, you kind of m mentioned speculative fiction. I was like, what the hell is this? This is new. I just know sci-fi, fantasy, you know, like basic stuff. So I, I don't remember. I do remember, Maya, you asking me. I don't remember what definition I gave you, but I'm sure it was far more eloquent than what I'm about to say. But like the TLDR, uh, there's like a little bit of, of genre history that I'll curse other people with. So um, speculative fiction first came about as a term in the 1940s. I hope that I'm getting this guy's name right by Robert Heinlein. Um, Heinlein, I think is the pronunciation, but I don't know either. I don't know either. I, I know it's spelled H-E-I-N-L-E-I-N. Yeah. Um, but at, when he first coined the term speculative fiction, it was largely associated with only sci-fi because at the time, sci-fi was the only widely read genre that contained speculative elements, meaning elements that, as the term would suggest or imply, I guess, um, speculative elements that speculated on the future, the, specifically on how technology 
and the evolution of such would affect the future. Um, in the 21st century, speculative fiction just kind of naturally expanded to encompass fantasy, dystopian literature, horror, um, and, and large, by and large, um, most scholars and authors define speculative fiction as any story that takes place beyond our known world, whether that's you know, a, a spirit realm in a, in a horror story or a, a you know, second world fantasy uh, or, you know, outer space in the year 3000. Um, there's a, a quote, I don't remember the exact quote, but uh, there's, a, there's a quote by Margaret Atwood, who's, you know, most well known for The Handmaid's Tale, which is technically speculative fiction um, as literature that I think she said something like literature that deals with possibilities in society that haven't been enacted but are latent, which really casts The Handmaid's Tale in a whole new light. Um, it, so there's a whole there's a whole realm and world that technically encompasses speculative fiction, but by and large, it's still most closely linked with sci-fi because they share the defining characteristic of speculating on the impacts that futuristic technologies or the future of the world has on society, on people, um, on cultures, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of a, like a like a Venn diagram, I guess. I'm sure that I explained it to Maya in a far more eloquent way. In my defense, I was typing on Discord back then. This is verbal. It's different. <laughs> yeah, and that was numerous months ago. Maybe even also like that. a year ago. So I don't even remember what was said. It was over a year ago, Bestie. Yep. Yeah. Shocking. Um, I will say that the name it's <laughs> uh, the name itself really does lend to that idea because speculation for mm -hmm. a lot is like mostly associated with the future or trying to get like in terms of the past most speculation is like we don't know what happened but we can guess mm -hmm. and when you are making something fantasy or saying something in a different world like what are we speculating it <laughs> like huh how would this work if this was a element, I guess. <laughs> I found the addition of fantasy to uh, the the genre of speculative fiction really interesting because it then this I, I'm going to you're going to be very aware that I was a, a, a scholar of speculative fiction when I was earning my master's degree, but it implies then that the uh, the condition of being a human being or having human like characteristics, whatever that means to the author, is the element of speculation in fantasy. Even if you're like in a in a in a fantastical world with with nothing that resembles our planet Earth at all, human beings or even, you know, let's say that it's not like a like a human like member of the human race. Like in D D, you know, there's not humans, but they're they're, you know, they have empathy and they have souls and et cetera, et cetera, whatever you think makes a human being like that question is the speculative element, which I found incredibly fascinating when fantasy became this widely known uh, addition to speculative fiction, which before just really contained sci-fi and all its various subgenres. So I am not a philosopher, so I'm not even going to attempt to unpack the question of what makes a human a human. But it was a really interesting thing to think about, like, okay, if you're adding fantasy into the speculative fiction umbrella, then the speculative element must have something to do with people and what makes us tick, what makes us change. Um, and I'm holding up, uh, I'm holding up my favorite fantasy series as an example, but I'm telling listeners, if you want to read this series, Google trigger warnings first. This is not a joke, oh. nor is it a drill. There is a series called the Masquerade series by Seth Dickinson. It's most well known for the first book, The Traitor Baru Cormorant. Again, I'm going to say for listeners, look up trigger warnings before you read this series. 
This is uh, not a yeah. joke. I'm going to second that. Having I've only okay. read the first one so far, but yeah. Okay. Now, older sisterly hat off. Um, this When I first read the series, I was thinking about this addition of fantasy to the speculative fiction genre. I know we're supposed to be talking about sci-fi and specfic, so I'll shut up about that after this. But um, this was a world that was not structured like the Earth that we are used to. Um, this is, However, there are systems in place that are eerily reminiscent of historical systems in the past because the author, Seth Dickinson, is a scholar of such systems and so worked his scholarship into the storytelling. But the speculative commentary on... Uh, you know, it was almost allegorical in the sense of like, oh, this is what could have happened if you can, because you can draw so many conclusions from the fictional world in the Masquerade series to, unfortunately, the real world that we live in and the history that we have experienced as a as a global culture. Uh, and so it was really interesting to reflect on what elements of this fantasy story uh, were technically speculative and it really it gave me like a concrete understanding of how fantasy did belong in speculative fiction because as under the definition meaning because up until that point i i like examples it's how i communicate is by giving examples and it's how i understand concepts and so that was like oh okay i get it now i get why fantasy can belong under the speculative fiction umbrella so that was a really interesting use case for that comparison i i found it interesting anyway uh well it's kind of funny to me about particularly the use of Barry Corburn, is I know Seth Dickinson for his sci-fi work. Uh, that's where I first read Seth Dickinson stuff when I was a wee lassie. I actually mm-hmm. wasn't that young. Um, it, it was only about a decade ago. Uh, and Seth Dickinson wrote lore for the Destiny expansion, The Taken King. One of the best expansions in the game, and also my starting point in the game. So the work he did mm. there was very near and dear to me and is a very early explicitly trans male character, which mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense as to why I like that now as an adult. Like, <laughs> oh, huh, that's why I really enjoyed the fact that there was trans rep. It's because I'm mm. trans. Surprise. Shocker. <laughs> I will say, for all of my ranting about speculative fiction being hard to pin down, it does have a use because it is, as I've kind of been alluding to before, it's an umbrella term that works really well for undefinable stories or stories that, you know, you can't define without a bunch of caveats. Uh, Returning it back to what this podcast uh, and its cast have brain rotted over before, Tamsin Muir's Locked Tomb series, the best way to describe it is speculative fiction from like a purely like a literary definition in the world of literature. Um... Because it is not just science fiction. It is not just horror. It is not just fantasy. It is the secret fourth thing, which is speculative fiction. And I think that if if the literary community, more specifically the traditional publishing literary community, could come together and define speculative fiction universally as fiction that deals with speculative elements in some way but isn't easily defined, my sanity would be greatly improved because I wouldn't have to stress out when trying to query work that is technically both depending on who you ask. Like if you look up speculative fiction and examples, you will find the same subgenres that other people define as science fiction. I write primarily like post-apocalyptic fiction, which some people say is science fiction and some people say is, is speculative fiction. Uh, and so it's really stressful trying to tease out who thinks it means what? But I think speculative fiction as a term does have a great amount of use when you're trying to define the undefinable because I think that great books are like people. They don't fit into a box necessarily. They stand on their own and they tell meaningful stories 
And while there is a time and a place for genre and ratings like young adult, middle grade or adult, there's also a time and a place to admit that not every single genre convention needs to be upheld for something to easily be fit into that genre. And a second impassioned rant from Cam. Yeah, this is also touching on a favorite rant area of mine, but I don't want to turn this into a computational physics episode, <laughs> so I'm going to lay off that. <laughs> I'm not smart enough to guest in that episode, so that's probably a good call. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not is... smart enough to host that episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, right? <laughs> you talk, You just touched on kind of the key point of that whole rant, but I am going to stop myself from getting into that. What else, what else should I say about speculative fiction and science fiction? You have me here. I might as well answer questions. I don't know. I'm just sitting here, guys. Uh, are you familiar with the work of Andy Weir? Yes. That's how you say Andy's last name. I never Is knew it? that. I don't know. I, I'm guessing. Know. I've never heard it spoken out loud. Uh, some <laughs> of his work, The Martian, is mm-hmm. definitely weird. Cause I, don't, I honestly don't know if it's speculative enough for speculative fiction but from the definitions you've given just like today on this episode i would say that his other work that i've really loved and i just looked at it 30 seconds ago uh, (laughs) project hail mary Mm -hmm. is definitely speculative fiction I would agree. I So I first was introduced to Andy Weir's, I'm just going to say Weir, because I probably that's right. Um, it, it, so I didn't know that Andy Weir was the Martian guy. I had no idea because <laughs> I, so I watched the Martian as like a child or not as a child, but like as a, because it, it came out, I don't remember when it came out, but I watched it Kids. when it, when it first came out. Um, but my first introduction to Weir was Project Hail Mary. And so I I remember, yeah, I remember like looking him up to see like, because what happens is I read a book by an author and then I'm like, oh, does this person have anything else that I would like? Because clearly I like this, their stuff. And then I I found, I found his like Wikipedia page or whatever and was like, oh, I said out loud, oh, it's the Martian guy, which got me really weird looks from my mother. Um, But (laughs) yeah, my, my introduction was Project Hail Mary. And I would agree. um, I think that Weir, now that I've like consumed more of Weir's work or derivatives like the film, I think that his foundation in writing what the industry calls quote-unquote hard sci-fi, meaning science fiction based in science, um, it shines through in Project Hail Mary because a lot of the, at least as far as I can tell, a lot of the stuff um, in the novel in terms of like the world building and the mechanics feels very accurate, but then there are those speculative elements that are not typical of hard science fiction and it was fun to like go back and see how he chose to branch out going from i think project hail mary came out in 2021 because it was nominated for a 2022 hugo so that sounds right and i try to read some of the hugo nominees because i'm always curious um but i know that the martian was like 2023 or 2024 because it was adapted i think in 2015 or not what am i saying 2013 2014 2013 or 2014, because I think the film came out in 2015, and I watched it, and I would have been 17. So I guess I was technically a kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he went from hard sci-fi to speculative fiction, which felt like a really natural progression. But I remember seeing on the writing side of Twitter when Project Hail Mary came out that a lot of people were like, you know, oh, is it going to be good? Because he, you know, he he's a hard sci-fi guy. Like, this seems like it's softer science fiction is it going to be any good which that kind of bugs me because i don't like people speculating about real people like in public where they could see it 
feels weird to me. But also I was kind of like, let the man live, let the man evolve. And that's one of the other things that I like about speculative fiction as an available umbrella term for authors to use about their work is it doesn't lock them in so aggressively to only writing one thing for their entire career. If you say, I, as an author, write speculative fiction, that could mean anything, which is stressful as I have enumerated on, but it's also really freeing because I can say that and then I have free license to change whatever I want about my writing style. And I mean, people can still say something, but hopefully no one's going to say anything because I've set the expectation that speculative fiction is so nebulous as a, as a definition that we don't have a standardized one. And so too can my writing be. And it was really neat to see that like in reverse because I went from reading Project Hail Mary to, I think I read, um, I read part of, oh, what's it called? It's the one named after some Greek god. I think it was Artemis? Was yes, one of his Artemis. other works? Okay. I read Artemis. I, I didn't, I... I. It was not great. It wasn't for me. Um, but, like, the, but again, I saw the hard sci-fi mechanics and was like, oh, interesting. And I didn't, I don't really like hard sci-fi as much. So maybe that's part of why I bounced off of it. Um, but I, I could see like the trajectory in reverse and that was fun. Yeah, uh, I'll be real. I love Weir. I love Project Calmary. I love The Martian. Artemis was not great. <laughs> I didn't really enjoy it. But, you know, when I read it, I didn't have the training that I have. So I would need to revisit it and then revisit my like the mindset of my past self to figure out why I I read like a third of it. And then I just I bounced off of it. I was I moved on to something else, I think. I don't remember what, but I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I read it once. and I haven't gone back to read it. I've reread The Martian several times. I actually have multiple copies of The Martian, which is one of the few books where I've done that. Uh, the only books I have multiple copies of are All of the Locked Tomb, <laughs> <laughs> which in some cases I have bought three copies of that book. Um, the Martian and Percy Jackson and The Lightning Thief. Ah, uh, Yes. Everything else, I only have a single copy of. I don't lose my books. Actually, wait, no. I have multiple copies of most of the Dresden Files now because uh, I lent most of my books of that to a friend of mine mm. and uh, then went on a road trip and wanted to read them, so I bought ebooks of them. I have a problem, y'all. I mean, I have so many copies of the Locked Tomb books, I cannot judge you. Yeah, I'm, th I'm thinking about getting uh, a fourth set of copies to the Locked Tomb. I mean, I'll enable this. <laughs> the the low-grade copy so I can annotate it, because uh, I have mm. great rot. Understandable. Mm. Now, something else I'd like to mention, because I think it is both sci-fi and specfic at the same time, and it has also been a local brain rot of mine for the last, um, I don't know, roughly eight months or so. Lancer. It is a tabletop role-playing game made by Massive Press. It is fairly indie, although it's it's good. I like it. It's lovely. And it is a it is a mech. So like mecha, which are mm -hmm. for the older people in the audience, i.e. my parents. Sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> Mechs are these roughly humanoid robots that are usually piloted by an individual they have walking legs and arms and they're usually pretty big mechs are cool unfortunately they're also like an impossibility in the real world due to how hard legs are just make wheels guys just just do wheels just 
Look, knees Just are wheels. stupid. Human knees are stupid. Exactly. Evolution is a bitch. Just make a f***ing wheel. Nerd. What's, uh, what's everyone's favorite mech, then? <laughs> what's everyone's favorite what? Mech. Oh. Well, I mean, the closest to anything mecha-related I've ever gotten is Pacific Rim, which is also speculative fiction. Um, Pacific so Rim is a banger. Pacific Rim, my beloved. But it's you brought up Lancer, and I was actually kind of proud of myself because I remembered the name of it because I was trying to find a TTRPG that was technically speculative fiction, and <gasps> I read about Lancer, and it is technically speculative fiction because it's it's described by the creators as science fantasy, science dash fantasy, which is effectively speculative fiction. So yes, I, and I, re- I was like, I remembered the name. I was like, wait, that's the one Maya likes, and then I was so proud of myself for remembering things. <laughs> it is set about 5,000 years from now? Mm-hmm. Give or take, uh, like, 1,000 years? That's the speculative part, I think part, it's maybe. actually... I think it's actually supposed to be more like 10,000 years. Maybe it's 10,000 years. It's... Uh, that's right, because it's 5,000 union is the current data yeah. setting. So, yeah. It's it's probably something more like 10,000 years in the future. Uh, Earth goes kablooey. Well, it doesn't go kablooey, but it does go kaput, uh... Rampant climate change basically nearly wipes out the human population so completely such that the survivors believe they are actually the first coming of humankind until one day they find our ghosts. They find the remnants of our civilization and these vaults that were left mm-hmm. behind to preserve our memory because we we figured out we were dying uh, like we have already in real life. And among other things, 10 generation ships were sent out into the stars to hopefully, survive. Uh, hate to break it to you, most of them didn't. I think canonically only two or three made it. Um, That's Four fun. that I know of? One of them counts twice, though. So really three. Yeah, and these are... When they find these relics, basically this n- new human civilization called Union, get a lot of voicemails that are, uh, well, help, we're dying. That would do it. I always knew unions would win in the end. <laughs> and it's... I don't want to spend, like, an hour talking about it, because believe me, I could. There is also, in addition to this technological development of there's 5,000 years of time from spaceflight, basically... There's a lot of technology in there. There's not quite FTL travel, but there's... Which, for those uninitiated, FTL is an abbreviation for faster than light. It's a pretty common trope in a lot of sci-fi stuff, because in order to have this grand, big-scale galactic stuff, you need some way to travel faster than light in order to get from point A to point B in a reasonable amount of time. Space is big. And on top of all of this, there is this strange paracausal elements to a lot of the world. There are things that are not explained by science. There is stuff that defies cause and effect. That is what paracausal mm-hmm. is. And in my case, I love that for Lancer because that was kind of inspired by Destiny, which is a large Maya brain rot as well. You know, something like four and a half thousand hours. And like, I remember reading about Lancer and I was reading about it on their Kickstarter page because you know me, you know, I love a good Kickstarter, obviously, but um, I found it, I had never seen before any sort of speculative t- storytelling that merged 
military sci-fi with something else. Not to say it doesn't exist. I just was never exposed to it. But I tend to encounter a lot of military sci-fi in my circles because I read so much like apocalyptic fiction. And usually those two. Yeah, like, there's there's overlap. There's overlap. Yeah. And I thought that that was a really inventive way to approach speculative storytelling and this i promise this will be my last impassioned rant about the benefits of speculative fiction which is like no, it, it gives it gives hey now i try to <laughs> uh, and i know we're like a, we're going to rapidly approach time by the time i'm done with this but for a lot of people who endeavor to tell stories in any way whether that's a video game a ttrpg television movie books short stories whatever um as we get more and more voices at the forefront that are not cishet old white guys. As the diversity of storytelling and storytellers expands without as much resistance, and that is so relative, it's not even funny of a statement, um, but the genre of speculative fiction has allowed for that expansion because it acknowledges that there is a nuance to the stories that we tell that reflects the nuances of our identities and experiences and all of the allowances that we have had to fight and claw and bite and scratch to get in the real world. And a lot of that is also mirrored in our fiction. And so for all of the things that I love about science fiction as a genre, the way that that genre's boundaries are interpreted by a lot of people still to this day are very restrictive. And it's, it's kind of like a, you must be this tall to ride scenario. And except instead of that, it's your story must have X, Y, Z elements to qualify to be science fiction, which is stupid. Um, because science fiction as a genre was created to explore what happens when you push the boundaries of what is possible and what the possibilities of a future where XYZ thing could happen are. And then to try to restrain it is just sad and kind of mean, in my opinion. People are party poopers. And then the collective response to that was, okay, well, we have this umbrella term called speculative fiction for things that don't fit in. And when you look at the people that are overwhelmingly telling speculative stories, a lot of them are historically marginalized communities, people of color, queer people, trans people, women. And and it's really nice to see that there's a correlation there between, okay, we made this umbrella term that encompasses stories that cannot be clearly defined and communities that also are not well-defined um, by society, meaning that they're ill-defined, they're, they're being marginalized, persecuted, attacked. Um, they're taking ownership of this umbrella term of a genre and being like, we're going to tell the stories that don't fit into your narrow little boxes of sci-fi or fantasy or whatever, because we feel like it. And that correlation, as poorly articulated as I have, I'm sorry, I'm running on two hours of sleep, but it's really, really cool. And it makes me really glad to see that as the diversity in storytelling has expanded, so too has what we understand speculative fiction to be. And that's really neat. It makes me really glad. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Knowing this... <laughs> Knowing this term exists, it just made me go, oh, I finally have something I can, you know, refer to when I speak about Xenoblade. Exactly. <laughs> that that mm. series is like, oh, yeah, they are robots and space stuff, but also every, no one has anything else. It's just, like, very simple. <laughs> well, and so even, I, like, I'm not a video games person, but I've... One of my friends uh, with whom I'm staying right now introduces me to video games and has me play them for their entertainment. And I'm currently playing Breath of the Wild, which is a Zelda game. I don't know anything about Zelda, but technically mm -hmm. that is also speculative fiction. It is a very fantasy world setting, but there's a lot of uh, like a sci-fi-esque technology that you would not find in your typical, you know, second world fantasy game. And it's really fun. I know that a lot of games do. I think what's the 
Final Fantasy, the one that's got like actually 16 Final Fantasies. Um, that's also a, a speculative game from my understanding of it. But it's really fun to see because when you free yourself from the confines of because I write fantasy, I must only include these things and I can't include these things, then you get so much more leeway in your storytelling, which for a lot of people is very fun and sexy. And at the same time, if you're listening to this and you write sci-fi and you want to just define your work as sci-fi, I am not dunking on you at all. Sometimes boundaries make people feel comfortable with their storytelling. And if you only want to say that you write sci-fi and all of your work is encompassed by sci-fi or by fantasy or by horror or by anything else, that's not a slam on you. Uh, boundaries make people feel comfortable just as a lack of boundaries make people feel comfortable when it comes to storytelling. Don't take that and run with it, guys. Gender neutral. But like, you know, there's no wrong way to tell a story, which I've said before. And I will say again, um, it's just a matter of how you want to dress it up. It's kind of like how we are as people. There's no wrong way to be a person unless you're a bigot or a homophobe or racist. Um, we just dress ourselves up different depending on what we were made to be. And sometimes uncovering that is a lifelong process. And it's the same thing with your storytelling. If you find, as I did, that I, I defined myself as a science fiction writer for so long and then learned about speculative fiction and went, hey, this fits better, which is also what I did with my sexuality. Uh, so, you know, it's all a process. <laughs> Look, I'm a bisexual. My, my motto is, ¿Por qué no los dos? <laughs> um, I have a recommendation for you, Cam. You mentioned you run into a lot of mix of apocalyptic fiction and specula uh, speculative fiction. And uh, I can words. I meant to say You're apocalyptic fiction and military fiction. And there yes. is an absolutely unhinged speculative fiction work. Uh, I love unhinged. Called Out of the Dark by David Weber. It oh, is, that's on my, uh, that's, that's on my mm. list. People have told me to read this. It's, it's so much it's fun. Book. It's a book. I Look, I love situations and experiences. I will gladly put myself in a situation. It, it is a situation and an experience. I believe the first time I ever read it, I was in the car with Steamed going to the state fair. And there's As a moment does. where I just looked up from the book and went, yo, what the I honestly, I find that stories that elicit that kind of reaction are incredible, usually, because if nothing else, you did react to it. The books that I forget are the ones I had no reaction to. So if yeah, even if your reaction is looking up and being like, what did I just spend two hours of my life staring at? That's still a reaction. Yeah, it is. It is a book I greatly enjoyed and a book I have remembered over the last seven years since I first read it. Something like that. Well, there you go. It's a book that stuck out to me, even though I don't have a physical copy of it. I've only ever read it as an ebook from the library. Support which your local makes libraries. Makes it harder folks. for me to remember. Yeah. Yes, support local libraries. Um, also, support other libraries. Support libraries. Here, here. Yeah, I, I, the, the person who first recommended it to me also said the words, This is so unhinged, you need to read it. And I was like, Okay. I love unhinged media, as we have seen. Yeah, it is. It's unhinged in a different way than, say, Gideon the Knife. Gideon the Knife. Mm -hmm. I need crunchy. to vary. Look, I need to vary my my unhinged. Like, what? What am I trying to say? I need to expand my palette of what it is to be unhinged in media. It it has um, one of the sharpest third act left turns. Oh, God I have bless! Encountered. I love that. If, look, mm. if a book can make me want to chuck it down on the couch in surprise or horror or something, then 
by the third act, then I I would like to read it. Yeah. Yeah, it'll do that. Awesome. My favorite emotion I've ever felt from consuming like a piece of media is when I was in the middle of ReZero, which is an isekai anime. And in the middle of season two, I was just like stressed. I I was like anxious. I was just like, I I don't know what. (laughs) And I think that is like the sort of emotion that, that I don't know I could ever recreate like that feeling of just being like, and this is hurting me to watch, but I can't stop. <laughs> it's like a train wreck. Well, yeah. like I, I think that's part of why I was so compelled by speculative fiction as a genre when I first discovered it was a thing, was that there were infinite opportunities to be surprised because growing up, I read a lot of like just science fiction. Like I was that kid that read like the Star Wars expanded universe novels way too young, probably, but that was like hard sci-fi Yo. as that is defined. Um, and so when I discovered speculative fiction, as a thing that I could like Google and find good books, it was like, oh, hey, I can be surprised again. And I'm not sitting here and be like, oh, it's really hard to surprise me with like a sassy little hair flip. That's not my way. But when you read the same sort of genre over and over and over again for so many years, and it kind of becomes this thing where like, you you know the plot points, you know the beats, like there's nothing new under the sun. There's only so many ways the same sort of, you know, niche genre can tell the story. But then when you get into speculative fiction, because there's infinite ways you can merge two or more genres... It's just, it to me anyway, it's more interesting. It's fun to read. It's nice to be surprised. And that's part of why I loved the Locked Tomb series so much is because I didn't know what the heck was going to happen next. Clearly, none of the narrator characters know what's going on ever at all at any <laughs> given point in time. And that's fun because I grew up inhaling stories that were all more or less the same. Not in a bad way. I just was really narrowly entrenched in one specific genre. And it was really, really fun to get to be surprised again. And that was nice as a reader. It made me think it's how I felt when I was introduced to anime in 2020 and was like, hey, this is a storytelling convention that didn't originate in the West. So I have no idea what's going on or what to expect. I'm just along for the ride. And every single anime I've ever watched, which granted has been four, has had me at some point or other getting out of my chair and pacing around the room because I can't stop watching the train wreck or whatever. (laughs) I had to lie on the ground several times while watching Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood because... I was just like, I don't know what's happening, but it's going to ruin my life. It's a great feeling. <laughs> I remember there is a twist reveal that happened some point during Harrow the Ninth. <laughs> uh, depends where, depending on the reader. Some people realize it at different points. I think I realized it very late. Mm. That uh, That is probably the best I have ever felt being a yep. book. That was... I realized the reasoning behind a particular stylistic choice the author has made. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I I had to just go and lie on the floor. And for me, I actually, because of the stylistic choice, put Harrow the Ninth down, read all of the Vimes books, and then came back to it. Mm-hmm. I got, like, a chapter into Harrow the Ninth, set it down, went and read the Vimes books, and was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta actually gotta read into this. I know the first book was phenomenal and i have been told this book is worth it i'm gonna get to it and the the reveal for that i think is kind of what sent me over the edge because the the need to talk about that resulted in me uh buying another copy of the books and shipping them to a friend because i needed him to read them before i got home so then i could read them before nona came out 
I just remember sitting on the couch staring at the wall when I realized what was going on and just being like, oh, okay, the author is not messing around. And that, like, again, it speaks to the power of like the freedom that the speculative fiction umbrella gives you to execute these absolutely insane plot twists and narrative choices. And yeah, that's also why I tell people when I recommend them the lock tomb, you're going to be confused. Just keep going. It's all explained and people don't believe me. And then they do read it. And then they're like, Oh, I get it. Or if you're some people who might be listening to this, you find me on TikTok and ask me questions to explain what you just read, which is always welcome, but really funny because somehow it all comes back to the sixth house. But anyway, this is not a Gideon the ninth uh, <laughs> episode, but whenever I'm asked to explain things, it always has to do with the sixth house because my brand is just what it is and it always will be. Okay. Now I'm actually considering sending my dad your TikTok handle because he comes at me sometimes with, uh, the lot okay. with locked tomb questions and i'm just well you know what i haven't read the books in a year i need to reread them for anyone listening and also for maya and maya's dad my tiktok is hello cameo so you can find me i haven't updated in a while because i've been staying at a friend's house and it's weird to make tiktoks in your friend's house but pretty much 90% of my content is answering questions about the lock tomb, which I do so happily. And I'm always happy to analyze or just clarify or whatever. Um, but that's, that's my literary public services. Let's explain these weird ass books that we all love. So yeah, have fun with that. I'm even more unhinged there than I am on this podcast. I try to make it slightly normal here on TikTok. I'm just unhinged. We are all very normal. We're so normal. That should be the like subtitle of this podcast. We are all very normal. <laughs> I thought the subtitle of this podcast was the ADHD talking hour. Also that. I mean, if you had to put like a level of unhinged to each of us, I'm, I, I don't know who levels where, which is concerning because that makes me feel either I'm the most unhinged or the least. <laughs> I think I'm less unhinged than you. I think that Maya is more unhinged than all of us. Congratulations, yes. Maya. Yeah. I don't think you get a prize, but triangle. Every time I type the word triangle, I think about the episode notes where you type triangle and I lose it. This is your impact, Bestie. I hope you're really proud of yourself. I am, you in fact, very proud of myself. Was, I'm so glad. They, there was a thing last week, Cam. Which you, uh -oh. you might see in the episode. But we were discussing, like, a term that Maya had coined, which uh -oh. was rowlinging. Okay. And, and, and I asked, literally in the middle of the episode, I was like, Maya, what we're talking about, it doesn't really have any connotations. Like, I know rowling has done a lot of bad, because rowling, but mm -hmm. this exact thing we're discussing, she didn't really do. And I said, Maya, do you... <laughs> Did you just want to, you know, shit on Rowling? And she was like, well, yes. <laughs> and I was like, okay, then. I'm like, but this is not the correct term we should have used. <laughs> no, but it's funny. <laughs> yes. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, that's what powers most of my scripts. Today's mm -hmm. script, right after the opener, just has Cam go burr. Because oh, this, this is the Cam episode. It's free, it's free real estate. It's free Cam Mike. Cam's terrible Mike because Cam was supposed to be home by now. But yeah, I have clearly lots of thoughts. Thank you for lending me the floor for the past however many dozens of minutes it's been. 
Hopefully some of it was enriching. (laughs) Okay. Hopefully it was enriching. Look, I studied, I studied speculative fiction and science fiction to get my master's degree. So like I have thoughts and experiences and critiques and you heard all of them. It's fine. (laughs) I spent most of my last few English classes wishing I was writing fan fiction instead. So. I mean, look, like, I believe this is my this is my final rant because I know we're almost at time. I think that there is a stronger correlation than a lot of people think to speculative fiction and transformative works, which is what fan fiction is. I think that there's a really, really tight link between the two. And it's why I'm not shocked at all when when speculative fiction authors have a background writing fan fiction, because the mindset behind the two are incredibly similar because a lot of people that write transformative works like fan fiction live in their storyteller brains in that shade of gray that speculative fiction writers also live in, where it's like every genre is free real estate if you try hard enough. And it's the same thing with a lot of fanfic. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Fanfic has a lot of, you know, fusions and AUs where you're taking stuff from a series and you're putting it in another box because wouldn't it be up if they had coffee and fell in love together? And also, like, sometimes uh, sometimes, canon, sometimes <laughs> canon just looks nicer in that box than in actual canon. Sometimes it do look nicer in the new box. Mm-hmm. That is true. All right. I think to close out today's episode so we can get Ian and Cam to where they need to be today, what is everyone's singular favorite work of speculative fiction I'm making you pick because I'm That's me? That's not fair. That's not fair. <laughs> oh. I mean, I'll uh, go because speculative fiction is just wide. <laughs> it is large. So I'll just pick, in terms of a story that I've consumed, it would actually be Fire Emblem Three Houses. Um, It's great because it's, you know, sort of this fantasy where you're at a school. Some of the kids, despite being in like this fantasy world, have hoodies. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> And then you go through and you're like, yeah, this is fantasy. And then in some of the routes of the game, suddenly you're fighting the undead dubstep Illuminati who have uh, missiles of light. And you're like, oh, I did not every see word, this coming. Every word of that last phrase was not what I expected it to be, and it was glorious. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you're facing the undead <laughs> dubstep army with missiles of light. <laughs> Oh, sweet God. Uh, and you're teaming up with the dragon pope woman who's also your mother and your grandmother at the same time. Sure, why not? <laughs> and also your daughter because you have her mother living inside you. <laughs> huh. And, that, and that's just great, you know? <laughs> All that combined, you're just, like, wonderful. Every uh, turn and- in that sentence was to the left. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. That makes a circle. And then you get to marry the cute opera girl, uh, male or female avatar, and marry her. So (laughs) diversity win. Yeah, Fire Emblem. It was great. Free houses and free hopes, especially because the localization teams just went, "Yo, what if we made this more sapphic?" (laughs) Incredible. I'm going to exclude the locked tomb. I'm going to exclude the locked tomb from my rating system because that's like a whole other category of cam is not normal. Um, I, I'm going to, 
I'm going to, well, okay. So as far as I know, I'm going to pick on my favorite movie, which is technically speculative fiction, which is Mad Max Fury Road. Yes, I know. Um, uh, it, Kev is very normal about this. Look, okay. This is a post-apocalyptic road trip movie. Um, it is the originator of my love of the let women go feral movement um, in fiction, meaning uh, women should go feral in fiction. It's just like how I choose to live. Um, but it it is... So post-apocalyptic fiction technically does fall under the speculative fiction umbrella because it's not um, solely sci-fi a, a lot of times. Post-apocalyptic fiction is rooted in our very real world and it's imagining a very near future, which in some people's minds doesn't make it pure sci-fi. I don't really care. I just like the movie. It is speculative fiction to me in my spirit. Um, and it essentially follows a, a, a group of women and this one guy they picked up. Uh, on a on a cross-continent road trip to try to take back the last standing source of things like clean water and growing plants and fruits and vegetables. Um, if you do want to watch it, look up content warnings first, please. There there are some that some elements that may trigger some people. Obviously, I am not the arbiter of what triggers people, so I always encourage people to look up content warnings anyway. But it is a fantastic example of speculative storytelling that doesn't overdo it on any one element and instead truly relies on characters to tell the story so it pushes multiples of my buttons so that would be that's my final answer mine i think is going to be fairly obvious to most of my friends and long-time listeners it's destiny uh, <laughs> as i mentioned earlier this episode i have put a lot of time into this game it is you have a lot of sci-fi tech it is i think estimated to be like a 1,000 to 1,500 years in the future. It is also post-apocalyptic. There is also space magic and space wizards and space turtles that are murderous and also murder shrimp. And there is a fallen civilization <laughs> um, that has hunted a space orb across the galaxy and found it on Earth and said, you guys, we want the space orb. But now we're friends. And, uh... Yeah, I'm very normal there, Destiny. Also, you, the player character, are a zombie fighting for the remnants Match. of human civilization. Probably somewhere in the Andes. So it's got a little bit of everything. Yes. I love you that. tickle the brain. That is very speculative fiction of it. I respect it. Well, I suppose it's my turn. And uh -huh. honestly, uh, this question... I might have an easier time deciding which hand to cut off, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome to my life. Uh, you know I what? I was very mean I, this one. Yes. Yeah, you were. I yes. think I'm going to have to go with Animorphs. That tracks. Mm. <laughs> um, That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's got it all. It's got child soldiers. It's got body horror. It's got alien invasions. Uh, military sci-fi. Uh, apocalyptic sci-fi. Um, God is an alien gamer. Um, sure. Why not? <laughs> gamer uh, moment. <laughs> I could go on for uh, a, an entire hour on this series, and I plan to um, later this year. <laughs> Good. Spoiler alert. But, oh. I need to sit down and read those books in preparation. Yeah. You have homework now. I Congrats. Probably, I should probably reread them in preparation myself. 
But yeah, uh, I don't know about favorite, but definitely formative at least. Mm -hmm. Favorites are hard to pick. Yes. All right. So, Ian, do we have anything in the mailbag today? We do. Woo. We have received another letter from Elise, who says, Hey, I'm enjoying the second season. Focusing each month on a different genre is a good idea. Comedy was an interesting one to learn about, but fantasy gave me more thoughts to write about. Hmm. Fantasy seems like such a broad term that is difficult to define or use. <laughs> quote, writing about things that aren't strictly real, unquote, is the definition of fiction, and, quote, anything that contains fantastical elements not possible in the real world, unquote, could mean mm -hmm. sci-fi, talking animals, wizards and swords, or any number of other things. I've heard that in the early days of fantasy and sci-fi, they were referred to together as speculative fiction. Oh my goodness. Maybe this term could be brought back for the broad range of things that fantasy currently covers, leaving fantasy to refer to things that specifically deal with magic. Since fantasy feels too vague, I tend to define genre by more specific subjective labels, the different mm. flavors of fiction, as it were. Mm. Something like Twilight, in which the fantastical elements are limited to specific entities being strange, I put in paranormal romance. Star mm -hmm. Wars feels sci-fi because even if it's not, quote, real sci-fi... It's got elements like aliens, starships, blasters, etc. that make me feel like it is. Then there's mm -hmm. Magic School with all the associated tropes, and Portal Fantasy, and Urban Fantasy, and many more. It's more about the patterns and tropes involved than anything else, and my subjective interpretation of the story's feel. Mm -hmm. I appreciated your bringing up Steampunk. It's one of my favorite subgenres, and I've just been wondering about its place in fantasy. You kept mm -hmm. bringing up things I was wondering about. Steampunk, superheroes and their relation to fantasy, talking animal books like Redwall, and then the latest episode, The Difference Between High and Low Fantasy. Mm. It was funny how I kept thinking of things while listening and then hearing them be addressed. Aww. Lastly, since everyone was bringing up their favorite fantasy media, here's my written-in contribution. So You Want to Be a Wizard by Diane Duane, and the series that follows it are an interesting take on Kids Get Magic Powers, but also a fascinating mm. look at how broadly fantasy can be used. The first book is, plot-wise, a fairly standard hero's journey with some cosmic horror slash wonder thrown in. But after that, the series plays with different fantasy flavorings. There's a sci-fi-style book with magic using computers and alien worlds, and another that adapts mm. Irish mythology. Another book plays with old-school life-on-Mars tropes, and there are also many unique settings, like an underwater society of whale wizards that sing their magic. It's fascinating mm. and immersive and tied together with magic that feels like the opposite of cosmic horror. Cosmic wonder? Powers beyond comprehension. Something great that will work through you to do good, though it might kill you in the process. Anyway, mm -hmm. I love this series so much, and I hope more people discover it in the future, so I just wanted to mention it. So the only reason I'm not sobbing live on air <laughs> right now is that Ian uh, sent me this uh, at about 11 at night last night. Actually, it was 10, but same difference, 11, 10. And So You Want to Be a Wizard... Phenomenal series. I've read it. Uh, unfortunately, this was in the era of I don't have a job, so and my parents don't want to buy me things all the time, so I'm going to go to the library to read books. So I don't actually have physical copies of the books, but I read a lot of the books in the library, and I'm going to second Elise's recommendation here. I loved this series as a kid, and until very recently, had kind of completely forgotten about it. 
uh, as that is the way with the sponge brain, mm. until stumbling across the author on Tumblr recently, I was like, wait a minute, I know that name. <laughs> you can't see it because we don't have any video recording, but I just pointed. I gesture emphatically. It is, it is everything that Elise said. It is phenomenal. I love it. It's all kinds of f***ed up in all the right ways. And thank you also, Elise, for bookending my uh, commentary on how speculative fiction is such a compelling and helpful umbrella term for genres and subgenres. Couldn't have said it better myself, really. I was. You probably was, have more sleep than I did when you wrote that email. I'm, <laughs> I'm very impressed. I was bouncing off the walls when we got that email because I'm like, oh, shit. We're recording this episode, like, tomorrow. Yeah, are you, like, in our walls, Elise? Like, what's going on? Are you, are you in our Some walls? Some people would say that was scripted. <laughs> Another fun fact is that originally, last month, had an urban fantasy episode. However, we cut it due to sheer amount of content in our content. Mm. Contentception. Maybe we'll revisit it later, and I can go unhinged with the Dresden Files for nine hours. <laughs> I will do that. This is a threat. Everything <laughs> <laughs> you say is a threat. I never listen promise. to you say, say a word and go, I don't feel slightly threatened. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Well, if anybody else wants to send us a nice letter like that, our email address is fanfictapes at gmail.com. Uh, you can also send us shorter messages on the site formerly known as Twitter. Um, it's, as of time of recording, it's still lumping along, and Maya keeps an eye on our account there. That I do. We are at Fanfiction Tapes, capital F, capital T, in the places that you would expect capitals. <laughs> is this where I say where you can hunt me down? I forget. Yes. This is, this is okay. the location where you can divulge your bullseye, as cool. it were. If you'd like to hunt me down and ask me questions about the lock tomb or really anything else, I'm not picky. I'm mostly on TikTok. Uh, again, it's at hello cameo. So the word hello and then C-A-M-E-O. There's no spaces, underscores, periods or anything like that. And there you can also find links to everywhere else I am online, like my Etsy and my Patreon, where I commit word crimes uh, by way of teaching writing workshops that I don't think suck. Um, so there's a plethora of they places to find They don't in fact me. suck. I've been oh, to you. at least one of them. I think thank I've you. been to three. It is an honor to be feral on the internet with y'all, and you can hunt me down on TikTok, and we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. The videos of mine that blow up are anything from lock tomb explainers to me screaming about the sixth house for seven seconds, to me discussing why Mad Max Fury Road is my favorite movie and also fundamentally rewired my brain chemistry, so we have fun on TikTok. I love how your favorite movie is that, and mine is the one where Nick Nicolas Cage has a bad southern accent. <laughs> Incredible. It takes all kinds. I'm not certain what my favorite movie is. That's a hard pick. Maybe like Pacific Rim or the Lego movie. Pacific, or Pacific Rim is my second favorite. Pacific Rim, my beloved. The sequel does not exist to me. There is no sequel. You get me. This is another Denmark situation. <laughs> yeah. There is no sequel. Okay. All right. I have been an M usually Maya. And I was joined by... You were joined by me, Dylan. Hi. Bye. Good to see you again. See you next week, hopefully. Thank Cam. Thank you, as always, for having me and listening to my impassioned rants on things.
And as always, I am Ian. Until next time, bye. Thank you.